Welcome Ben Folks, uh, all the way from Montana, and welcome Joe Nolan, all the way from the other side of Nashville. Uh, and we're back in the new studio, and welcome everybody. Ben's uh, so cool to have you. Really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. This is the new studio, same as the old studio. It is. <laughs> have you have you guys with your podcast? I mean, you've been podcasting since um, I don't know since the Reagan administration. Um, so, are, do you? How has your setup evolved with uh, with, with the co-main event? Yeah, well, I mean, mainly our setup evolved in moving from Chad's kitchen table to moving to Chad's office. Uh, <laughs> that's about the extent. Oh, right. I mean, also Chad moved houses at that time, but he moved like two blocks. It was the most annoying move I've ever seen. Pack of all his stuff moved about two blocks away. Oh, that's and, brutal. That's almost but worse that's than about a big it. move. Hasn't changed much. Mm, that's funny. It's it's hilarious too. I mean, it's really. I think I was talking to somebody earlier today, and it, it made me think about uh, Gutenberg, right? And <laughs> just like how. Gutenberg was like the next massive leap forward after like written language happened, you know, and uh, and I know this none of this is like that, but it is kind of amazing that that folks like us have essentially what they might have had when my dad was a kid. This might have been what would pretty much without the without the tower. This is pretty much what you would have had in a radio station. And there would have been one or two in your city. And that would have been incredibly expensive and uh, prohibitive to do it in the first place. And now we all share the experience of like, well, then we moved it from the closet. (laughs) And then now it now it's uh, in a shed out back. (laughs) But I'm talking to the whole world on my weird podcast. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that recently when one of my friends got me into like a a fictional, like episodic podcast. It was the first like fiction podcast, like where it's like a fictional story being told over. And I realized at some point, like when I'm five episodes in and I love it, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm listening to a, a radio play. This right. is a damn radio play, just like uh, like my grandfather would be super into. But yeah, exactly. I mean, like maybe it, some stuff is just good. Yeah, yeah. Like War of the Worlds. Yeah, like The Shadow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, more like that, really. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what would be the equivalent that you could pull off. Uh, that would be like, a, what is the war of the worlds of uh, podcasting that you could you could even do? I guess the real time nature of it is uh, necessary. So maybe there's no there's no duping that. Yeah, a fake a fake news broadcast of some kind. Yeah, fake yeah. news. Fake news. So, uh, you know, and I, 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 it's amazing that you guys have been, have been uh, you know, I feel like you've got some sort of special sort of, I don't know what they, you know, what, what you guys eat out there in Montana or what's happening, but it seems like you've got quite the little concentration with you guys. Uh, I guess, you know, out, I appreciate other people in landlocked areas making the best of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think especially Missoula has always been a really literary community and a community that, that supports the arts and makes it a good place for people who are writers and people who want to be involved in some kind of a creative endeavor. It kind of draws those people in. And then once they come here, I think that they fall in love with it right away. I know mm-hmm. I did because I'm not, Chad's originally from here. I'm, I grew up in Southern California and I came here first for grad school. And when you see the kind of community that it has here, it, it really, uh, makes you want to be a part of it way mm-hmm. more so than, you know, I lived in New York city and it was like, and I don't, I, maybe there was a time when a bunch of artists could make a go of it in New York city, but now they all going to get priced out to the, the suburbs or the outer boroughs. Cause you just can't really do it that way anymore. If you're not, you know, in finance or running a, off a trust fund, yeah. uh, but Missoula is one of those places where it's like a whole bunch of writers kind of found their way here. And it's a small enough town that you can have an impact on it and kind of make it into the, mm-hmm. the sort of community you want to live in. That's cool. You know, and uh, just for, uh, you know, listeners who might be uh, artists of some other kind or just are, you know, here because they're fight fans. Can you tell, it, get, tell us a little bit more about that? Like, who are some of the writers that have given Missoula that kind of a reputation? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, Jim Crumley was uh, a longtime crime writer and longtime Missoula bar denizen who you could always, he, he came to talk to us once when I was in grad school and, uh, for getting my MFA in creative writing. And he came and he talked a little bit about some of the, the crime novels he'd written. Uh, he, he worked on a few screenplays and stuff too. I think he worked on the screen with the original judge dread with Sylvester Stallone, stuff like mm. that. Uh, and then when he left, he's just kind of like, well, you can find me at this bar before eight o'clock and this other bar after eight o'clock. And you you sure could, uh, <laughs> you know, right up until he died. And then they put that bar, put a plaque right above the seat he used to sit in. So like people like that, uh, have been a long time part of this community. And, uh, 
it's also, I mean, the I like that it is the kind of place where you can just decide. Um, like one of my friends decided, you know what? I want to see indie pro wrestling shows come here. So I'll just start a, a company that promotes indie pro wrestling shows. And oh, now, then you can just do that. Or my wife does a lot of uh, stand-up comedy events. She's a, a comic. And so uh, just promotes her own stand-up comedy events. And it's that size of town where there's enough people that will come and see her stuff, but not so many people that normal people are just pushed out of creating anything new like that. Wow. Right. That's rad. You know, I think there's there's something to be said about – the fact of like, I think when, you know, Nashville, I mean, there's lots of places in the country that are going through these kinds of growing pains and stuff, but you know, there's, if you're ever in a community that is experiencing the kind of thing you're experiencing, and then it kind of grows to the point where it changes in these fundamental ways. I think a lot of times the thing that people are talking about when they're talking about how it used to be, what they really meant was like a time when it's, it felt like everybody could sort of just do their thing and it was, and it was interesting and new and, and appreciated. And, and, uh, and at, at a certain point it turns into more like, you know, Oh, that's, you know, these people get to do this, but these people have to do that. And you sort of just lose that kind of community creativity. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. It well, sounds like you guys got it locked in pretty good out there. Yeah. <laughs> For now we do. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Missoula is one of those places where it's still kind of caught like you don't know how the growth is going to affect it because now we have a few actual like tech companies who come here and are mm-hmm. hiring people and, and drawing people in from out of state. And it's one of those things where it's good because Missoula does need, you know, well-paying jobs and mm-hmm. real jobs other than just university and hospital jobs. And yet at the same time, uh, we're kind of in this weird spot in terms of growth where people are like, well, Hey, let's tear down this old building and put in a, a, a Hilton. Yeah. And you kind of recognize, yeah, this town could probably use a Hilton, but also we really like that old building. And uh, right. what are we going to be left with when we tear all, uh, all the old stuff down? It's, right. it's, it's, it's kind of poetry that the only frontier left is the actual frontier. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, the same play is playing out everywhere, you know, and I think that, um, you know, I, not to sort of try to overtly seg- segue into sort of fighting or perhaps even the UFC, which we don't necessarily talk about explicitly that much. But you're going to crash uh, right into it. I'm going to crash you're right into it. But, but I think Conor that, McGregor um, right into it. I feel like we have to. Like, <laughs> yeah. We don't usually do any kind of like uh, takes or whatever, but I've been really enjoying sort of the, the fallout of what's just happened. And I really think that um, what my deduction is everything that everybody is talking about is ultimately like it's when people are upset about the outcomes and the, what Dana White is saying about what the matchups are going to be and this and that and the other and Khabib that nobody, you know, all this stuff, everything comes down to this thing has gotten so big that it's a product and it has to be sold and they have to water down things and they have to stretch things out and they have to, it's not, and people still um, sort of uh, yearn for this altruism that is so gone. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens that the altruism and the the meritocracy lines up with what's most entertaining. But I don't think that there, I think that people are still pushing and pulling with all that, mm. but it's, I feel like it's, it's long gone. Just like uh, that building, you know, the UFC is the Hilton in Missoula. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I mean, for a long time in and you can MMA circles, and people who, uh, who followed the UFC, it was always this question of, when is this sport going to reach mainstream acceptance? You know, like when, when is it going to be no longer on the fringes of American sports culture and just kind of accepted? And there were occasions when people would kind of stop and wonder, do we actually want that? Like, is that going to be as nice as we imagine it will be? Cause I remember the days when it was still viewed as this weird thing, you know, ESPN wouldn't touch it. Uh, a lot of the mainstream news outlets would just wouldn't act like it even exists. And, People would look at you weird if you said that you were into it. You had to really go to great lengths to follow it. And, I mean, and so I understood when people really wanted to see it and on a, a better platform and see it embraced more. But also maybe we didn't entirely think about what that would like, that it's going to lead to Stephen A. Smith getting up on TV and acting like he's, <laughs> oh, in he's talking about. I mean, that comes along with it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that, oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, and it's weird because it's kind of like um, – I don't know, like when I was in high school, you know, and I saw Jane's Addiction play in a club, you know, for 400 people. 
And then, you know, the next thing you know, the next year, the, your favorite band or whatever comes back to town and they're playing the arena. Mm-hmm. And, and you're like, ah, oh. like, <laughs> I don't know. So there is something weird about just, I think there's a natural sort of uh, rise and fall and ebb and flow of just these, these kinds of, of things. And then now it's kind of like the UFC is almost like, a, like what major labels were to, to music, you know, where it was like you, you, you reviled the, the major labels when you were in a band. But uh, because you weren't on one, and then if you got on one, <laughs> then you got fucked anyway because you, you know the, the the deals were structured to do that, and then and then you're kind of left on the other side of it. I mean, like I was just this is totally tangential, but I was just you know yeah you get inf- inf- and the internet gives you information you don't ask for all the time, and I learned that uh, Aerosmith had like the drummer for Aerosmith <laughs> is having to like sue them because he's not being included in their Grammy celebration, and and you know he was his playing wasn't up to snuff he had to re-audition you know we're all, I'm just like what come on Joe Perry yeah yeah like I don't, I don't really give a shit about Aerosmith but I'm just saying like wow like there, there is no security there is no truth there is no God there is no <laughs> there is no Aerosmith you know Aerosmith was actually the first concert I ever went to I was like 14 <laughs> nice yeah <laughs> where was that uh, it was at some amphitheater in Costa Mesa in Southern California. Uh, nice. And it was also the first time where I was like, so that's what marijuana smells like. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I got it. Yeah. I got it now. Oh, man, I had the exact same experience, too. Like when I, my first concert, I was in fifth grade. And I went to go see uh, the police on the Synchronicity Tour. That's how old I oh, am. Oh, nice. And, uh, and right, I'm so I'm so old that I, I come from the time when... You were still, you were when, pretty young, though. How were you? I like was a kid. I was fifth 10? grade. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. Like 11. Yeah, well, you kind of nailed it, didn't I? Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I'm so old that like I'm still from the time when Sting and Stuart Copeland still got along. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. So, but anyway, so... I remember my shirt smelling like weed and I remember just like, okay, I'm not going to wash it. I'm going to wear it to school tomorrow. Somebody thinks I'm stoned, but I'm scared to get stoned, but my shirt's going to stick. It's like the perfect play. Like I, I'm cool. I smell like weed or, and I've been to a rock concert, but I don't have any weed and I'm not high. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm 11. You're, 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 you're on, you're seeing all the angles even back then, bro. But wow. Yeah. Aerosmith, there's nothing like the first concert. Like, do you still remember that one in a unique way relative to like maybe every other show you've ever seen? Yeah, definitely. I also remember, I can't, uh, I can't exactly remember the name of the band, but they only had the one song. They had the Lumberjack song where they would use a chainsaw in it. Oh, uh, oh right. Yeah. Jackal. From like the early nineties. <laughs> Jackal. Jackal. That's it. Yeah, Jackal. I, and I think it's Jackal with a Y, like Jekyll. It is. Jackal. <laughs> like J-A-C-K-Y-L. And it's like, and, and it's like, it's like, it's like a guitar like riff. Experience. And they yes. like double it with the chainsaw. It's like, wow, no, no, right. no, no. Wow, 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 wow. This is terrible. And it's for those like of you they, who don't remember, Jackal. Everybody knew. Like, uh, <laughs> we only know the one song, man. We only, we're waiting for you to get the chainsaw out. Yeah. Like, it's all everybody, you know, and they're the opening band. They're trying to kind of go through their other stuff. And everybody's just like, until we see a chainsaw in your hands, we are not paying attention. Right. And then we're going to go crazy. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Like that was like when one gimmick, you really could go pretty far. You could do pretty well. Just a chainsaw. I mean, no surprise, really. I guess that like the Aerosmith crowd is into power tools. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. So, so in terms of like, uh, you know, I know that here's another sort of weird tangential segue, but I, I, I find that, you know, when we're talking about the, the monolith of the UFC and kind of it growing to this sort of facsimile of its former self, but expanded. And so there's good and bad. It goes with it. And then you've got we were talking about like sort of, you know, how music and labels kind of work in that way and commercialism and music. But I and now I just I really want to make sure that we uh, dig into this because this is really kind of what we wanted to talk to you about. Um uh, where were you on? No. Um, <laughs> in terms of like, it seemed you've, you've had an incredible long journey uh, through ev- uh, many, many outlets and, and many, uh, many years of, of doing what, what you do in, in MMA uh, journalism. And you've arrived at The Athletic and it, it's one of those things where everybody that's there, you get a sense that it's like everybody's partying like they all made it to the island. <laughs> well, I, I mean, 
I think everybody who we have who is on, the, especially the MMA team, the athletic, they've all kind of experienced the other way of doing it uh, when you're working for uh, other websites that have to depend on ads and clicks and everything to kind of pay the bills. And, you know, they're familiar with the pressures that come with that. And they all kind of saw where that was headed. And I think if you look at just where Internet stuff in general is headed, everybody got kind of pushed more towards we want a lot of content and we want it short and clicky and uh, not too substantive. And we really just, we got to feed that click monster at all times. And so when they came around to us and, and kind of individually made the pitch for the athletic to us, I think, I know I, I talked a lot about it with Chuck at Mendenhall and with Sean O'Shaughty, and it was like, we all felt like somebody had been reading our diary and saying exactly <laughs> the kind of stuff that we needed. You, you know, we wanted to believe that, that you could still make a go of it that way and that there was another way to do things because we weren't super happy with the way we were being asked to do it and the way it seemed to be headed. And so when we all came over and got that kind of freedom to, to focus on putting out better stories and, and not just having to turn out a bunch of mindless content. Uh, it, it, I think for all of us felt like a relief and just like a revelation. Yeah. And, uh, and I heard, uh, uh, uh Dan on, um, Fernandez podcast well actually recently and that was a really great conversation too, to get a sense of from a, just a uh, more editorial standpoint, uh, and how the sort of, uh, I, I really liked, uh, what Dan had to say about, um, you can just tell there's a lot of passion in it when he's talking about how he was at first was thinking it was this indignity that he was suffering that he had was writing for his small town, uh, you know, baseball games or whatever it was. And, uh, you know, but that actually reinvigorated his love for the, for the form and for the act, you know, and it seems like in some way or another, not that, uh, I mean, the athletic is anything but covering, uh, uh, little league baseball, but, uh, you know, maybe next year, but, but, (laughs) but, but, uh, but I just, I love the idea that, uh, in the same way that I watch fighters and fights and keep up with all this, I draw inspiration from it. And when I see other people pursuant to different paths and facing different challenges and getting through different mazes, it actually sort of in some way directly or indirectly, I think feeds into sort of how I navigate my own, uh, projects and how, how I'm always sort of, uh, you know, pushing whatever it is that I'm doing. And I, and I draw a lot of inspiration from that. So it's really, I think, a, a sort of an, an exponential benefit when, uh, you know, me coming into, you know, really loving uh, mixed martial arts as a fan, you know, years ago, now getting to this place where there's all this uh, uh, material and uh, this sort of constellation around the whole the whole sport that really is sort of I think a, a lot of really motivated, a lot of really um, uh, creative and and really really interesting sort of powerful kind of minds and people all really pushing to do a thing. So it's just kind of cool to even be remotely a, a small point on that constellation. Yeah, I mean, I, it's also. Uh, I think a lot of us kind of started out at a different point in when we first got into kind of MMA media and especially a lot of us when we end up getting together and talking talk wistfully about the days when magazines were still a thing yeah. and, you know and you could still like hey there's a they want you to write like a 2,000 word feature for a magazine you can just kind of sit down and focus just on doing that mm-hmm. um, and but then that kind of went away and I don't know it's it really was heartening to just hear that there were people that were hopeful that while some things seem to be moving in this direction, there's also room to move in a different direction. And uh, you know, to to come over and then to have it be as awesome and refreshing and invigorating as I hoped it would be is even better. What about um, you know? Just again, I, I like to I like to sort of do little loop de loops here as we go through these stories. And um, there's just you know, in, in terms of the kind of people who might be listening to the podcast, um, you know, not everybody's an athletic uh, subscriber until after they hear this episode, obviously, and then they'll be they'll oh, feel God, so like the compelled last four to do it. episodes. We, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's, that's true yeah. too. Um, uh, um, but like in terms of uh, the kind of what kind of stories have you been able to tell at the athletic that you wouldn't have been able to tell at, at, you know, one of the other more click oriented, you know, uh, outlets that's, that's happening in the MMA sphere. Well, one of the big things uh, about the athletic is 
the ability to just take some more time to focus on one story and not have mm -hmm. your attention and time kind of pulled in a bunch of different directions by doing just little stuff throughout the day. And uh, anytime you have to do a story where there's multiple sources or things that are really going to take some time to dig into and to get people to open up about uh, like stuff like that. That's one of the things that nobody seems to care too much about with a lot of the other websites because the pressure is on, you know, got to get it out quickly and right. it doesn't matter too much how good it is uh, or, you know, we, we want it to be in fact shorter. So we just like keep the content exactly. kind of rolling along and to be able like, you know, just recently doing a story kind of about cauliflower ear and being able yeah. to tell Dan stuff, my editor, like, yeah, I'm going to start with Leslie Smith's Cauliflower Ear, and then we're going to take a detour and talk about Cauliflower Ear through, like, uh, Greco-Roman art history. Right. And then we're going to kind of come yeah, back. Yeah, that was and, a good piece, by the way. That was yeah. a really good end. Thank I, you. Yeah. And I love well, that stuff aspect. like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that takes some time, and, uh, you know, you need to be able to be like, hey, I'm going to spend a day just uh, – reading and researching and seeing what else comes up and that being totally okay. And it helps when you can do that and you know, you're not, or, or like on fight nights where you can sit there and you can watch and you can think about uh, different story angles that might be coming out of it rather than just like having to write really quick recaps of fights immediately after they happen. Right. That's, that's really cool, man. And I, I really, I, I am of course a subscriber and I really, I, I find it to be luxurious. Like I just find like, I'll see, you know, I'll get like, notified a little an MMA headline about something that you guys have written about and I can and I just already know it's like oh man that's going to be so nice just to sit down and read this long story about this whatever this fighter or this like you say a storyline coming out of a bout or something like that but there's uh there's just a real you know, sense to, to all the writing there. I mean, partly just because it, it's generally longer than we're normally treated to. But like you say too, it's like when you know, you've got the freedom to have that kind of word count and to have that kind of attention, that's not going to be divided on a bunch of other stuff. I think it also, you know, it just ends up being a, a very fresh publica publication, if I can call it that, a very fresh platform, I guess, because I think all those factors let you guys uh, and ladies, you know, find really unique ways of telling these stories or unique ways of of looking into these things that just in other in other, you know, other outlets and stuff, you just don't really get that, you know, and there's times yeah. when I just want to hear. I want people to run down a card so I can, you know, find out like, you know, about the fights I don't know about. Maybe they're going to talk about a bout that I didn't have my, you know, have my sight set on. But now I'm realizing, well, that might be better than I thought it would be. Yeah. You know, you're going to throw me the Vegas odds. Cool. Sometimes those are fun to know about or whatever. But but for me, that stuff's more just like notes to go along with my viewing of the fight. You know what I mean? But there's another part of me that really appreciates the, you know, what you guys are doing. Um, just the same way that I appreciate it's a very different thing, but like what Robin Black does or, you know, just people who are doing things that are just like outside of well, the hot take and the, yeah. the odds making, you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. And I, I mean, I agree. And there's definitely a place for uh, all that stuff. And I, mm -hmm. I still go and visit all the different websites and everything and read the stuff that they have going on. But <laughs> the, there's also there's times when I'm like, I get feel like I get tricked into clicking on a story and I'm like, I thought you were going to have actual information that yeah. you went and got yeah. off the story. Well, really what you have is what you got off Twitter or what yeah. you got off Instagram. And right. that's kind of it. And it's like, I'm not saying there's not a, a use for, Hey, I read Twitter. So you don't have to, um, <laughs> because sometimes yeah. it is nice to have somebody read, uh, yeah. you know, because I, I, I can't be on Mike Perry's Instagram all the time. You know? I, if only, I, I if only you could do that all the time. That sounds like a call So out. there is like some value to that, but it's also like you can, when you have to be directed by here's what people are clicking on, yeah. it's going to make you do some things uh, yeah. that you didn't necessarily set out to do. Well, you know, here's the thing that I think it's done the essence of the whole dynamic as especially from a, you know, uh, a consumer, right? I also am a subscriber, Joe. Uh, so don't think that you're the only one or whatever on this podcast, <laughs> but no, but the uh, thing is, is that it's what it's about how the relationship is set up and what it is predicated on. And when you are in uh, the media sphere and you're being led through clickbait or, or sort of, uh, you know, the lesser substantive types of, of things that are, there's a, there's a, there's an undertone of uh, I'm a consumer and you are being duplicitous 
in order to gain, use me for your gain. And so it's, that's the relationship. Whereas with the athletic, it's, you know, whenever you, whenever you pay for something, you feel you immediately are, are more, uh, the road is paved more for you to understand and appreciate the quality and the relationship as a consumer is set up immediately from its inception to be something of, uh, some sort of a handshake deal, you know, like, right. like, like there's something more earnest, uh, about it. Uh, and then I just have the right to continue to sort of raise my hand for this or not, but it's not like on a moment to moment breadcrumb rat in a, a maze yeah. kind of thing where it's like, you know what, like this is patronizing and it feels bad, right? Mm-hmm. Like when people are, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's like that, uh, that's saying if you're if you're not paying for something, then uh, you know you're the product mm-hmm. and not the customer. Thank you for and saying that's it the way thing better than me. <laughs> the the thing that I think people sometimes don't realize, and that we've had the conversation with them back and forth, is where people you know they're used to reading like, hey, I, I read all these MMA websites for free. Why would I pay for one? And it's like, well, I mean, you're reading it for free, but also uh, they're not necessarily thinking about your experience. Uh, first and foremost, as the the reader, I mean, they they've got to think about how they're going to leverage your click and your eyeballs for money because that's the thing that keeps the lights on. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a conversation that every other website that I've worked at has had, where we're sitting around and we're going, "Hey, why are we doing this thing? That like, the readers don't like this. They, they don't like the the autoplay videos, or they don't like these annoying ads, or they yeah. don't like this kind of stuff." And the answer is always like, "Well, th- th- we have to. That's how we make money to pay you guys, and that's how this works." and you know, we understand that it's harming the user experience, but that's fine. We're we're okay with that as long as it doesn't harm it so much that they go. Like, we want to find the absolute threshold that they will withstand and still keep coming. Yeah. And that's why it's such a nice thing, just as a reader for me to, because I end up reading uh, a lot of uh, the athletics hockey coverage. I, I read their boxing stuff too, but I end up reading a lot of the the NHL coverage. Uh, and then I've gotten uh, weirdly into the Southampton. English football club. So I end up reading a lot of their stuff. And it's so nice as a reader to go from, you know, when you're reading like uh, other websites and there's ads and it's all stuff is moving all over the page and making it hard for you to concentrate on it to go and they read it and it's just nice and clean. And I think that that is, at least for me, like worth paying for. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, another thing I've mentioned this before when I, I don't remember who we were talking with, but I like the way that you could sort of uh, like you were you were just sort of alluding to this experience that you have with the page. But for people who, you know, aren't on it, you can really, really finely tune like what you're what's sort of being highlighted for you. And for me, it's like the MMA stuff, the boxing stuff. And, uh, you know, I follow college football and pretty much this, the, the, you know, my experience of it is that I only see stuff that I might be interested in. I'm not getting bombarded with all the stuff that I don't care about. You know what I mean? And I like that yeah. about it as well. Cause it, cause I think a lot of times there's stuff I'll miss stuff that I, you know, I'll realize, Oh, that, that was, you know, that looks like that was a good article and I'll go back or that was a video or something that I did, that I didn't see before the fight. And now it's kind of sucks or whatever. But, but with the athletic, I, I really feel like I'm, I'm always, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm aware of, you know, the stuff that I actually want to be aware of and, and stuff doesn't really slip by because there's only, you know, two or three little categories that I really want to be notified about, you know, but, um, but it's really, so there's just all these ways that it's like, it's, it's, it's just a very good interface. It's a good experience. The actual content is what you exactly what you would hope for. You know, I think for me, it's like my, you know, there's, there's lots of good sports writing out there, especially about combat sports, but also about football and, and uh, baseball, obviously. And it's like, to me, I think, you know, as much as I have enjoyed, you know, being an athlete as a younger man and things like that, and watching the sports that I grew up watching with my dad, you know, and all those kinds of experiences or whatever. Um, I've also been somebody who's as a reading person have read a lot of sports stuff and know that there's a literature out there based on these things, because there are these grand themes that are embedded in these struggles, you know? And, um, and, 
you know, so for me, you know, this is a publication, you know, probably similar to like back in the day when, when your uncle was reading Playboy for the articles, you know, but, <laughs> but there was really something to that. They really did have, you know, the best writers in the world writing for them. And I really do feel like, you know, you guys are talking about sports, but it's on a whole different level from the way most people are talking about sports. And frankly, that's where I want to talk about sports. You know what I mean? That's, that's the, that's the the literate sort of conversation that I would like to have about um, Mike Perry's uh, Tetris shot. <laughs> you know, actually, I absolutely have read Playboy for the articles before, and they have great fiction. I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have. <laughs> it's nice. It's nice to be old enough to a point where, like, like if you do, like, have a a Playboy magazine, it, it's just nice that, like, because if if you're 15, like, you're just shut down. Like, there's no. <laughs> what is this? There's, there's like my circuitry cannot process these parallel interests. You know, uh, it takes time to cultivate that that duality but uh, <laughs> uh but yeah so like and i guess you know uh, we've talked a lot about how you are you know in the promised land you've made it everything's perfect you live in the perfect place your life is perfect everything is golden mm-hmm. right uh so um uh we can either just end the podcast now or <laughs> or we can talk about sort of like what's missing or what is what is the the itch that you've got to scratch that just is not getting done yet or what's the thing that's annoying you that you haven't started yet you know, uh, it's it's funny. It's not so much that it's uh, that I haven't started it, but it's that I'm only now kind of being able to find the time. I have two young children uh, who my daughter, my oldest daughter just turned seven and the youngest turns five uh, in a few weeks. Nice. And it's only kind of now that I'm getting to the point where you know, they don't require quite so much constant attention and management and maintenance and kind of realizing, all right, now I actually am starting to have a little bit of time for personal projects, like personal creative projects again. For, and for a while, uh, there, there was just, that was the first <laughs> thing to get chopped off the list because yeah. it was like, you got time to do what you need to do for work. And then, you know, people need sandwiches made and uh, yeah. noses wiped and things like that. And like, it, it's really high intensity uh, attention that has to go on there for, for so much of the day. Yeah. And it took a while to get to that point. And so it's almost like you kind of even forget that it's possible, like that there will ever come a time again that you will have that time to work on creative projects. And now I kind of realize, like just the other weekend, I was kind of realizing, wait a minute, they're just playing happily together. I could just kind of back out of this room, go down to my basement <laughs> office and you know read a book or work on uh, this kind of side project that I've got going on. And that's a, a relatively new development. And it's weird because it's like there's a part of my brain that I realized maybe thought that that wasn't ever going to come that that time was just never going to come back into my life and uh-huh. realizing that, OK, maybe now it is. And like I've got a couple of different creative projects that I'm working on outside of just regular work stuff. And it's really refreshing to be able to do that again for the first time in several years. Yeah, uh, you know, it's really easy. Joe and I are sitting here, like, uh, Joe doesn't have any kids. I don't have any kids. So we're just like sitting around being like, so what are you doing? Like, what are you working on? <laughs> 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 How have you reconciled your postmodernism? You know? Uh, <laughs> But I, I know what you're talking about, though. I mean, I've got my brothers, my brother and sister both have kids. And of course, we've got all these friends with kids. And most of our friends here in Nashville are, you know, you know, also in whatever way, you know, involved in creative projects and stuff. And but there does. I mean, it's, you know, I've seen it happen where it's like oh, somebody's just going to, you know, somebody's just going to be sort of not around for a little while. <laughs> and then and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, Johnny's, uh, you know, going to preschool and, you know, dad's putting on shows again. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, uh, so I think it's, uh, it's uh, like you say, I mean, I can understand where, where you would lose that time, but I'm glad that you're feeling like you're getting back in the flow of being able to do it. Can you tell us anything more about like what you might be working on right now, or is it still too fragile and you don't want (laughs) to jinx it? <laughs> yeah, probably the second one. I mean, it's fiction stuff uh, and fiction in, in a couple different forms. Um, but uh, yeah, it's not to the point where I, I don't like to talk about it until I'm sure that it's really done and is going to happen for sure. But yeah. 
I understand it's nice that. to be able to, to carve out that space. Cause I used to do a lot of fiction, uh, in addition to just regular, like, you know, sports writing and everything. Yeah. And that was kind of the first thing that got pushed to the side, uh, when there's so many demands on my time, uh, yeah. being a dad and everything. But now it's finally gotten to the point when you can, I can find that again. And, uh, yeah, I got some, a couple different things that I'm working on that I'm pretty excited about. You're, you're probably also kind of, uh, like reentering the atmosphere, so to speak. It's like, there's probably a lot of fits and starts when you've when you've when you've not had the bandwidth to really handle uh, those uh, sort of more creative uh, projects. It, it's like uh, it's not like the, the you've atrophied or anything. You've been working really hard, you know, and and always using all the the sort of muscles, but just in a more probably money making oriented kind of way. And then you've kind of got the more lofty stuff that could be money, could be not, you know, but, uh, but I would imagine that for you, it's like, uh, anytime I've had a long break and come back to something, you, you think that the off time has cultivated this kind of perspective and you know exactly what you want to do when you get back to it. And then as soon as you start to put pen to paper or whatever the other tools are that you might be using for whatever you're doing, it's like, Oh, this is not what I want. This is not a, no, no. Like I, I thought that I had this all together, but really, I've got to like do some some clunky kind of experiments or something to figure out what it is. So I would imagine for you having this be a recent uh, sort of uh, opening uh, that you're probably you know somewhere between knowing exactly what you want to do and having no idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the adjustment is at least for me the harder part of it is remembering that the way you work on a creative project is not necessarily the same way you work on a work project. Ah. Uh, because it's like when I am sitting down, I'm going to write a story and I have this story idea that we're going to do and we kind of put a deadline on the sheet and then you got to get to hit that deadline. And it's helpful for me to have that deadline because, you know, Hey, even if it's not exactly where I want it to be, you know, if I work on it, if you give me eight more days, I'll use eight more days, but I don't know if it'll get eight more days worth better <laughs> at a certain point. You yeah. know, it'll get, you know, maybe one or 2% better, but it's not yeah. Uh, yeah. worth delaying. Like at some point we got to ship it off and we got to move on to the next one. And so working on the creative projects, I, I have to kind of remind myself that, Hey, we don't always have to be striving for absolute perfection here. Sometimes we just got to get through it and then come back and work on it later and, mm -hmm. and refine it as we can. But then also realize that at a certain point, uh, you're not doing yourself any favors. Yeah, that's really, that's well said. I mean, I think especially for writing uh, that, you know, that you get to that point where, you know, to you, it might make all the different. I, I'll tell you here, the I wrote a song about, four years ago and there's a line in this song that has been bothering me the whole time <laughs> and I just because I'm just like it just it just isn't it just wasn't there and the other day I was singing it in my head and I I replaced a word with an obvious fucking word that should have been there the whole time and then I was just like there it is. There it is. Right. But would anybody else even know the catastrophic difference that one word made? And believe me, it was massive, huge difference, but nobody else can sense these things the way you can when it's you writing, your writing. Right. And I mean, I'll, I'll tinker like as long as I have, I'll, as long uh, I'll use all the, in the last minute until the deadline tinkering with it. And, you know, every once in a while I get asked to come in, there's a university class here called Montana Writers Live. And since we have so many writers in the community every week, you know, they come into the university class, they've read something that you've written beforehand, and then you read something else that you've written out loud. And Every time I've gone, you know, I'll, I'll bring some kind of short story that I've written for, that was published uh, years ago. And when I get it out to look at it before I bring it in to read it, I always end up making edits in pen, uh, you know, in the margins and things like that, making small alterations to it. That's but again, awesome. yeah, I'm sure it doesn't matter to anybody, but it's also just like if you let that get in your way and it easily can, right. you know, if you're not careful, then you don't end up finishing anything. Right. No, I think that's the key thing. Like, that, like what you just said right there, it's like, it's okay that you do that. It's, it's preferable. Honestly, I respect the fuck out of you that you do that because I think I'd like to see more people care as much and take the time to make it fucking great. You know what I mean? So I love it when I hear people feel the same way at the same time though, like you just said, very importantly, you cannot let it get in the way of the progress of your work, the progress of whatever, you know, uh, career thing might be going on for you, whatever it is. At the end of the day, 
the getting the story done and out there is is crucial. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Getting the song done and out there is absolutely Im- as important as making sure it's f- fucking fantastic. And there's also the thing too, that, that you may feel this. I don't know if it's a generational thing. I don't know if it's a style thing or what it is, but in almost every art form, all of us also knows that, um, you don't want it to be perfect. You know that it's better when it's still not done. You know what I mean? There's a certain point where it's got this roughness to it and that's when it's alive. And if you fucking seal this thing to uptight, it's just going to die. Yeah, no, that's, that's well put, you know, that's, and that is when I think about some of my favorite pieces of writing that, that other people have done where you just you read it and you can feel that aliveness of it, even when it's at times you can point out places where it's like, oh, this is kind of in danger of recklessly careening into the boards here. But still, I mean, that it has that kind of energy is one of the things that you really like about it. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm getting at is like, you know, sometimes you don't want the energy to get smothered underneath your editing, essentially. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think also there's like, here's a phenomenon that I've noticed in the, in sort of the music realm in the past, especially when I was producing a lot, um, is artists, I think a lot of times, uh, make what they're working on too perfect, not for the reason of being hell bent on it being perfect, but because and this is a weird thought that I had and you, I might not be able to articulate it very well, but I have seen a pattern of this. So basically you see people that are making something and then they make it precious and that's good to do. But then they get to the point where then they're really just kind of, it's like a, a, a like a helicopter parent just constantly <laughs> fixing the kid's hair or something. Right. And, and what you realize it's actually the, it's there's that their through line there is that I noticed is that, these people actually don't want to let these things go Mm -hmm. because they, it's been so much for them to birth it, to ideate it, to to prototype it, to put it together, to make it a thing, to experience the joy of it sort of coming to life and starting to take form and have all that kind of contour in whatever media form it is. And then there's that kind of, you know, that last 20% is really hard, you know, to really fine tune things, but you get through that, but then they still keep picking at it. It's because, then if they if they're forced then to stop then they're at the blank slate of starting that process all over again mm-hmm. and that is such an uncomfortable feeling for a lot of people that i think that they'll hang on to well just one more thing right just one more thing i just need to fix one more thing mm-hmm. uh you know and i'm not saying you four years later with one word is I'm not saying that's neurotic, Joe. <laughs> no, but, uh, but, I, I, but I do think that there's something about like uh, the process itself is so daunting sometimes that you irrationally hold on to uh, what you're working on because it's already alive and it's kind of like teeming and it's working. Yeah. And I mean, that's the same thing that makes it sometimes hard to start new stuff is because if I start, I know I'm going to run into the inevitable problems or I might just start and find out that it's not as good an idea as I think it is. Uh, And that's the the point that I mean, when I find myself procrastinating from something, that's always what's at the core of it is Uh, that, you know, if I if I start it, then I'm gonna I, I know I'm gonna find out some stuff that I don't necessarily want to. As long as I haven't started, it's a great idea, and it might be <laughs> it might be the idea. Uh, and when I, once I start, I'm gonna find it differently. You know, and that's always uh, that's always what's at the core of it. And you just kind of have to kick yourself past that and just throw yourself out the door. Yeah, yeah. It, it just it really. I mean, I think a lot of times it comes down to. You know, uh, if you just have to start working and at some point you just have to stop, you know what I mean? And it's, it's really that simple, but it's not that simple. Well, it's also when you get into certain challenges though, uh, when you do say, okay, I'm just going to start, I'm going in, I know I'm going to run into these, these, uh, hiccups. Uh, or these I don't have a third act. God damn it. Yeah, or just like, (laughs) see a lot, you know, a lot of times it's just technical stuff or just, you just know that it's going to require some sort of. I don't know, putting things together in a way that you just haven't quite done before. You understand all the individual pieces, but this particular sequence or something about how this is laid out, you're like, ah, and so it keeps you from doing it, like you said, but then, uh, you know, but I think that for a lot of people, like when when you, when you kind of, you get into it and you start, I think it's about reframing how you uh, sense or feel the, the, the hard parts or the parts that kind of suck about it. The things that are just like, there's no path through this, but just hard work. Or in your case, probably like, you know, this is going to take another three hours of research or 
I'm going to have to peel this back to build on it again. You know, like I, I feel like that the, if you just in the same way. So here's this is an example of what I was talking about earlier. When fighters talk about, uh, you know, pain. Uh, I've heard many of them talk about this in this way where they talk about uh, pain for them is this kind of, it's a disassociative kind of exercise um, or a re-relationship, a rewiring of, of the relationship so that, that when you sense pain, you associate it to uh, progress or like do, you, you you can reframe it to some sort of good in, in the yeah. circuitry of how you Energy. perceive it. Uh, <laughs> so even though it sucks, at least you're able to sort of, maybe it's like a, that's like the, the sort of hooks that your kind of reward system need in order to make everything not completely suck when it just mm. sucks. You know, I don't know. Yeah. You know, that's always one of the things that it took me a long time to understand about uh, the way fighters prepare for fights uh, was how much of the training camp is kind of just getting your body used to what what are going to be the normal levels of uh, abuse that it will have to deal with so that the first time you get kicked in the leg your whole body doesn't go well that was terrible and <laughs> we're going to completely shut down because that is the normal reaction and that's and talking to fighters who are, you know if they've been off for a while from surgery and they have to come back and there's a well part of it is I need to go in there and get beat up some just to condition my body to what that's like so that when it actually is happening in the fight it, it, I don't even pause for a moment and you know, that is a, there's an element of that where like there are times when I feel like I need to recondition my attention span when working on something longer because uh, the internet has in a way ruined all our attention spans and so uh, having to kind of go back through and relearn that uh, a little chunk at a time in order just to be able to keep focused long enough to, to stay on something long term. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit like about that, like about the nitty gritty of your process? I mean, are you you just writing on a laptop or do you, uh, you know, do you do th do you write an outline by hand? I mean, can you tell us anything about the actual just mechanics of how you actually uh, create the do writing? You, do, you do? do you sub it out on Fiverr? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've never really come over from the outlines and get, get all those articles started. <laughs> Yeah, the I mean, mostly my process is a lot of uh, trial and error. And for me, it always the, the big thing is figuring out how to start. First of all, I usually have an idea of like, here's how I want to start and how I want to end. And that, one thing I've learned over the years is to just be way less attached to your idea, especially of how you think you want to end or where you think it wants to go, mm -hmm. um, because you don't necessarily know that until you're really in it working on it. Um, but for me, a one of my favorite parts of the process sometimes is when you're struggling, kind of looking for a beginning and looking for the way into something. Uh, and when you'll, you'll go to bed and your mind is working on it kind of all night without you intentionally doing it. And just to have your eyes kind of snap open at 5am and be like, okay, I got it. Like I, here's, here's how I'm going to start and to kind of get up and get that momentum going. Uh, and that's, uh, that's always one of the, it also like learning the stages of the process for me, especially working on longer projects, uh, was an important thing to, cause, because now I've got enough experience at it that when I hit a point in the process where I'm like this all sucks and I suck and uh, I should <laughs> yeah. uh, move away to like a wildland fire uh, outpost <laughs> and restart my life there <laughs> and you then you once you have enough experience with it you're like okay this is that stage like I'm at that stage and I've been at that stage before yeah. and I got through it and I got to the end point um, and don't worry and it just kind of helps you take all that a little bit more in stride yeah, and all that just all the only way you get there is just by doing it over and over again. I mean, we're all gluttons for punishment on some level, right? I mean, I, I think of this all the time. Like, we, nobody's holding a gun to any of our heads to do anything that's remotely creative, uh, you know. And I, I do fantasize sometimes about like, um, although there's creativity and everything, it was the problem. Uh, but like, I, I have this weird fantasy of like, I just want to go work at like a like a, a lo, like a uh, mom and pop mechanic shop or something. You know, and just do like, yes, I changed the oil in that car or, you know, those rotors are now smooth, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah see that's the the problem though is that i'm just i'm terrible at everything else so i'm, I'm just pretty much unemployable uh so i, I really got to stick it out with this yeah like what's what's the most sort of like um uh what's the worst job you've ever had <laughs> 
Oh, definitely the worst job I ever had was as a dock worker loading trucks uh, with a forklift just because it, I was not really good at it, for one thing. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe if I'd done it for like 10 years, I would have gotten good at like managing the forklift and everything. But you can really mess some stuff up with a forklift. <laughs> it's a really big, heavy thing with sharp metal uh, spikes on the end of it. Yeah. And... You know, you, you miscalculate a little bit. And the next thing you know, you have just run a uh, like a forklift uh, through the side that's like uh, side of a trailer uh, that's parked <laughs> yeah. in the loading dock. And you're like, well, that's a that's kind of a big deal. I'm going to have to tell somebody about that. <laughs> and there were just like also you'd, you'd open the, the truck door and you just had no idea what was waiting on the other side. I mean, you had the kind of like the, the, the bill of lading that would tell you like what the items are, but you have no idea what state it's in or how difficult it's going to be to figure out how you want to move oh. it and it's just this weird stress all the time of both feeling like i'm not good at this and everybody knows i'm not good at this <laughs> I, they could find somebody else they would and also <laughs> like just being like constantly confronted with your own inadequacy at this thing right it's like a slight modulation on imposter syndrome because you're there's not some component of you that thinks that there's not even the smallest portion of you that thinks you should be there. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Joe, what's your worst job? Uh, I've had a lot of weird jobs. Uh, the one that just comes to mind when you say that is I worked for one summer, I worked at a Pepsi bottle and can recycling factory. Nice. It was pretty, it was just weird. And it was also, I didn't like it cause it was so loud inside of the factory environment. That was the thing I liked the least about it was as loud as hell. I, some, I keep yeah. seeing like Laverne and Shirley. Or it was something. Laverne and Shirley. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a small place where, where see, because in Michigan, uh, they they forever have had like 10 cent returns on bottles and cans. So like yeah. long before there was any like curbside recycling or anything like that, there was all this bottle and can recycling happening in Michigan and also very clean roadways because nobody, if somebody throws it out, believe me, somebody picks it up. Wait, isn't that the whole premise for that Seinfeld episode? It is. Yeah, he's driving to Michigan with his bottles and cans. Because because you get like five cents more or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly, that's how good it is. They literally made a Seinfeld episode about it. <laughs> and then the car catches on fire. Newman's driving it, right? It's Newman's mail truck. <laughs> so ben, like when you were growing up, like where, where, did you actually grow up in Montana? Where, where did you grow up? New York? No, uh, L.A. L.A. Yes. Oh, Jesus. Uh, in, in the L.A. County, Southern California, uh, kind of the eastern edge of L.A. County. Okay. So it, was, it sounds very desolate and isolating and, and uh, <laughs> like riddled with tragedy uh, that has shaped who you are. You know, one of the really nice things that uh, about growing up in Southern California and then moving to Montana was that uh, I took up hockey a few years ago after, you know, you, you don't get a whole lot of opportunities to learn how to ice skate uh, yeah. when you grow up in right. the Valley in Southern California and learning this thing. And, you know, knowing little enough about it that you can almost kind of trick yourself into thinking, well, what if I'd learned this as a kid? Would I have ended up as a great yeah. hockey player? Yeah. And you know that the answer is no, yeah, yeah. absolutely not. You would not. <laughs> uh, just the same way, like you didn't end up as a great athlete in anything else. But <laughs> it at least allows you the the illusion to kind of toy with because you didn't grow up with it. Yeah. Oh, I just realized. Uh, doesn't isn't doesn't you know Reggie Watts? Yeah. So does he live there? Doesn't he live there? Uh, I don't know if he, I don't think he lives here, but he's here a lot, it seems. Yeah, I think he's from there or lives there or something. Uh, but yeah, so, well, yeah, I mean, you, you, it's good to know what you're capable of and what you're not capable of. I, I think that that's the weirdest thing about getting older is, is uh, you just start to realize there's just certain, like when you're young, you feel like you're, it's not like these things are on your bucket list, but they're within some realm of possibility, right? Uh, I don't know. My life could take a wild turn and I'm an expert skydiver or whatever. Right. Um, and then you get to a certain age and you're like, I'm already starting to like, there's huge amounts of shit that is coming off of that, <laughs> <laughs> that list on like an annual basis. Right. Like the, 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 scope, yeah. the scope of possibility is shrinking wildly all the time. <laughs> well, not as, I mean, as you age, it seems like, the these doors close whether they are ones that you you know tried to walk in or not like some yeah. of them just by virtue of not 
doing anything new or different. Uh, you you lose you pass that time when it could have been an yeah, option yeah. for you. It's kind of like hoarding uh, opportunities, they, right? Like if you hoarded opportunities, there you would have this weird period of about fifteen years where you're like, I don't know, I might do that one day. So I just need to hold on to that right. possibility. Submarine like, I, battles. I just, hold on to that one. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, and then like by the time you're in your forties, you're like, I don't even want anything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do anything. Yeah, I mean, at some point, you're gonna you just have to confront that you're not going to be an astronaut. It's yeah. just not. It's, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Is, did Did you? Uh, like when I was when I was a kid, I really wanted to be a writer, and that didn't uh, happen um, necessarily. So, uh, but is that something? Do you, have you? What was the? Th- what's your biggest dream that you never realized? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's. I don't know that I ever had like one thing where I was like, okay, this is, I absolutely want to do it. I almost, I I used to envy the, like people I went to high school with, especially, you know, uh, there's a couple high school classmates of mine who are like, I want to be a doctor. That's what I know. I'm really good at biology classes and all this stuff. And I I want to be a doctor Um, and they're doctors now. And it's kind of like, it's really impressive. Like, okay, you wanted this thing since (laughs) you were 14 and you got it. And I always wonder, like, is there any disappointing element? Like, do you wake (laughs) up every day still super glad to be a doctor? Are there points where you're okay, maybe this is, it's all a little bit too much of the same thing for years and years and years. Yeah. It's almost like, like how the fuck do you Babe Ruth call out your life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Doctor. <laughs> like how, how does that even happen? People do it. Yeah. And you wonder like, okay, so maybe you just chose something that was readily identifiable, that there was a curriculum that you knew you could achieve if you just follow the directions to cook the recipe, to create your own being as a doctor. And then you just afforded yourself this time to not have to think about a million other things and how you relate to the world or what you might be able to do otherwise. And I, th- I do envy those people because I think that they have horse blinders on in the best way possible and then they're just damn good at one thing i'm always i've said this many times on this podcast like like my friend who's a a professional saxophone player i'm like that is the fucking that's it like you just carry around this one little thing and then that's your job Mm -hmm. like that's amazing to me we make everything so complicated because we have to think and we have to interpret (laughs) reality and then like people really are going to care about what i think (laughs) <laughs> here's my synthesis of reality well yeah see so uh and then hey uh ben are you there yes okay. i am <laughs> he thought you had a stroke brad no, 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 no. but we always have to have at least one of those like I, i'm trying to stretch this shit out man i'm trying to like like by the way we we also uh this is the only podcast where uh, microdosing is required. <laughs> uh, Hashtag synthesis of reality. Yeah. Hey, uh, do, you, do you ever end up in Nashville for any reason or have you spent any time here? You know, I was actually born in Memphis and um, oh, my wow. family is mostly from Tennessee. Cool. Um, so I have some, uh, I mean, they're mostly in like rural West Tennessee. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, yeah, I've spent a fair amount of time in Nashville. God, I love Memphis. Yeah, Memphis is rad. I hope to I hope to be there in a few months. Actually, yeah, I was there last summer and it was it was beautiful. We had some great uh, great uh, Caribbean food at a place called Curry and Jerk. See, this is how, <laughs> uh, there's I don't know. <laughs> there's some branding work, I suppose, that could be done there. But I but I suspect the food is incredible. Um, but hey, so well, Ben, we don't want to take up a bunch of your time, man. Uh, but thanks for this hour that you've given us. And I wanted to uh, give people like in terms of. You know, there's a lot of people that listen that are just uh, artists that they allow us to sort of tease them with the sort of the fighting world, but we don't really throw their their brains into it. But you know, as like as a if if somebody was gonna, you have a lot of points of entry to your work. So if if you were trying to like write your greatest hits album right now, like what would you would the lead off song on your greatest hits album would be what? <laughs> Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, I'm always a little bit surprised sometimes because it's sometimes the ones where you think like, okay, this one is really coming together well and I'm happy for it. But then that's the one that people respond to might end up being a completely different one. Like I I was really surprised how much people seem to love uh, the story that Chad and I did where we went to Buffalo Wild Wings and ate the the BMF wings that they were serving there. Uh, I'm not expecting that to be quite so popular. Um, But I still hear a lot from people about and 
and is kind of more deeply personal to me. The the one the first uh, or one of the first things at least that I wrote uh, coming over to the athletic about uh, all the next stuff that goes along with grappling and, and fighting stuff and you know the stuff that I've dealt with from my own years of grappling and then talking to a bunch of fighters about uh, the stuff they went through and then all the different things that people have tried to deal with it. Um, and that one I think was a, a little bit more of a it felt important to me at least uh, when I was writing it. Yeah. Um, so ultimately, we will uh, we'll make sure that in the show notes, people have a direct path to uh, your uh, sort of article index on on the athletic, and um, and then also we'll, we'll point people to to your fantastic podcast. It's great to um, uh, talk to somebody that uh, is so knowledgeable and and so creative and so conscientious. Uh, and it does mean a lot that you that you take the time to to talk to weirdos like us. <laughs> My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, where can our uh, listeners find you on social media, Ben? I am on Twitter at uh, at Ben Folks MMA, and uh, I'm on the other stuff too. But I probably don't want to hear from you there. <laughs> well said. All right. All right. Thanks so much, brother. We uh, love having you on. We'll, we'll get you back on here uh, when you're ready to talk more about your uh, new fiction project. That's right. Absolutely. All right, take it easy, Ben. All right. Later. Okay guys, I love the Art Fight podcast, and I listen to every episode even though I am a robot trying to sound like an actual person. I know it takes a lot to keep the podcast going. How can I help? Go to anchor.fm forward slash podcast. click on the button, the big old button that says support this podcast, and once you get there you'll have three options. You can just choose the lowest level, you're going to pledge 99 cents a month to, to our production and and help us out again anchor.fm forward slash art fight podcast click on support this podcast all right thanks everyone